This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Ellen Dykus as she talks about how to disciple women who battle sexual addictions. Ellen Dykus oversees women's ministry for Harvest USA. This seminar was recorded at the 2021 General Assembly in St. Louis. Let's listen as Ellen Dykus explores what it means to fight like a girl. Good morning, and you know, it's always kind of a fun thing for me to hear all the list of those things I've written. You know, when you're a girl and you dream about being a writer, you don't think that in the title of all your things is going to be some form of the word sex or sexuality. But, but the Lord's ways are mysterious. So, so good morning and, and thanks for coming, both those of you that are here and those of you that are, are listening to this recording. And I want to say thank you for your willingness to, to sit under teaching on this area, of, uh, on this area of, uh, of struggle. You know, on behalf of the women in the PCA, of wives, moms, daughters, and sisters, these are real issues that women are dealing with and it's an area for which Christ came to bring healing, forgiveness, transformation, and grace. So just briefly, Dave already mentioned that I'm the Women's Ministry Director for Harvest USA. And for those of you that might not be familiar with us, we were birthed out of 10th Presbyterian in downtown Philadelphia, really through the pastoral heart of James Montgomery Boyce, who in the, in the 80s, in the midst of the AIDS crisis, had a real pastoral heart and burden for those that were caught up in sin of a sexual nature. So fast forward 38 years, our ministry now has a twofold mission. We want to disciple women, men, parents, couples. I do a lot of ministry to wives that are in marriages that have been impacted by sexual infidelity. Uh, our, our model is discipleship counseling or biblical counseling. So we do, we're in the trenches day in and day out. But then the other part of what we do are things like this morning. We want to teach, equip uh, the church and local churches to be able to minister in these areas. So we do a lot of writing. We produce discipleship resources, which the postcard that you might have gotten on your, ta- on your seat is, is an aspect, really, of, of our mission. And that is available uh, as a free PDF download on our website. That's kind of the model we're going to now, doing self-publishing. We have a huge men's curriculum that's coming out in August as well that will be available as a free PDF download. So 
this topic, Fight Like a Girl, How to Disciple Women Who Battle Sexual, sexual Addictions. I want to just kind of get started by sharing with you, two years ago when I was at the General Assembly, I was downstairs at our exhibit table, and we have another exhibit table down there. Two of my colleagues are there. We're there to just encourage, talk to you. But I was standing there, and a woman came by, and she's like, oh, Harvest USA. You know, sometimes people think we're an agricultural ministry or something. She said, Harvest USA, what, what do you guys do? And I gave her an overview of kind of what I just said to you. And she was kind of uninhibited in her response. And she just said, oh, I am so tired about hearing about sex and sexuality. Like, oh. And you know what? I get it. Uh, even I'm immersed in these things day in and day out, although, you know, I'm not talking about sex and sexual sin really that much. That's kind of the doorway into our ministry. But I get it. I mean, it's surround sound right now. I mean, this is one of the buzz topics at this GA. There's going to be a lot of discussion about this. But in light of that, I want to just say, yes, we do need to discuss. We need to know what we believe and what, how do we be faithful to the scriptures. But I want to encourage us, let's not miss the brothers and the sisters who are struggling in these areas, in our churches, the women who are, quite frankly, here. I mean, in a crowd this size, there are many women and many men who are, who are struggling in these areas in one way or another, and they're, they're hiding. They're, there's a lot of shame, a lot of discouragement. And so I want to begin so that you know my heart is that I'm not here to unpack a biblical um, biblical understanding of sexuality. We've got a lot of resources that can do that. Today, I want to give you a biblical framework of understanding where sexual sin comes from, give you some practical discipleship tips to get you started. Our resources will take you further. But I hope that in one sense, more than anything else, you might walk out of here or when you finish listening to this recording, that you'll be encouraged and emboldened and maybe filled with that much more compassion for the women in our circles, both PCA and in our neighborhoods and communities that need the hope of Jesus in these areas. So with that, let's get started with three dangers I wanna just um, share about, three dangers to avoid when we are discipling sexual strugglers. And actually, uh, I didn't mention this, uh, there's not a handout as you saw. If you'd like a copy of this PowerPoint along with my teaching notes, just send an email to my colleague, Shaylee, at harvestusa.org, and she'll send you a PDF of this. Shaley, harvestusa.org, and that'll be up at the end of the time as well. So three dangers to avoid. The first is to oversimplify the process of repentance. Uh, you know some of these things where somebody might just tell you in the midst of a, an entrenched sin pattern, well, just stop it. You know, in Jesus' name, don't do this anymore. Or come on, can't you just rouse up some of your own power and throw in a little Holy Spirit and just get an internet filter? Or don't talk to that person anymore? Well, it, it sounds easy, but we all know that killing the sinful cravings of our heart and overcoming patterns that we've become ensnared in, it, those developed over time. Like for all the women that come to me with their own pornography struggles or are married to a, a, a husband who is a serial adulterer or a pornography struggler, no one ever just overnight becomes an addict or has a besetting sin that just pops up. 
it grows over time as it's fed and walked out more and more. And similarly, patterns of unbelief and sexual sin will take time to overcome. A lot of steps in the, in the direction of our flesh becomes a pattern of sin. A lot of steps empowered by the Holy Spirit towards Christ, sowing into the Spirit, will lead to transformation, and that takes time. But then secondly, we don't want to overcomplicate. You know, the other, part, the other side of that would be we don't want to overcomplicate repentance, meaning that sometimes we can present this convoluted map or convoluted discipleship path for somebody that may be wrestling in this area. And, and the man or the woman, and I'm, I'm going to focus in on women, of course, this morning, but the woman comes away with thinking, oh, you know, I just got 50 steps I need to take to be free of this thing. So we don't want to oversimplify, but we don't want to overcomplicate it. And finally, we don't want to forget, brothers and sisters, that we really are much more alike than different. There are heart issues in my life that are similar to every single woman that comes to me for ministry. The outward behaviors maybe have been different. You know, I had my own little bit of dabbling with pornography when I was a young girl, fantasy life. You know, I've had some messy relational situations, but my sinful behaviors don't map on perfectly to all the women that come to me, but at the heart level, I'm much more like them. I need inside-out transformation at the heart level. I need my identity in Christ and belief in Jesus and his grace and mercy to change the taste buds of my heart, the appetites of my heart. And that's what the woman who is, again, ensnared in erotica books, messy relationships with women and men or both, a fantasy life that just takes her to a world of escape, that's what she needs. She needs the gospel applied at the street level of her life. And that's what we all need, isn't it? Regardless of what your issues may be, we need similar things. So uh, what I'm going to do today, as I mentioned, I'm going to give you a biblical framework for understanding how sexual sin develops. If you've heard any teaching by Harvest or if you've, you've read our materials, you know, you've probably have heard of the tree model, which is just our way of understanding a biblical perspective on how sin patterns and really how godly patterns develop. So I'm going to lay this out for you pretty briefly, and then I wanted to give you some um, discipleship, discipleship tips. And, and on that discipleship part, what I want to do probably more than anything else is normalize sexual sin struggles for you to see it as, in one sense, just another discipleship area, just another area of our, of our broken humanity that needs Christ's help and transformation. Because I've found that um, I've gotten to talk with, as you, as you might imagine, I've gotten to talk with women in ministry from all over this country. And when it comes to issues of sexuality, the most mature in Christ women leaders, seminary trained, biblical counseling trained, when it comes to these areas, they just feel intimidated or scared. And I get that. I felt that way before I came on staff at Harvest, and I'd been to Covenant. I'd had a year of biblical counseling training. I'd been in ministry for about 20 years. But this kind of stuff hadn't had much teaching in it. So I hope to maybe diffuse fear or shame or, um, uh, or insecurities that you may have. And all I can say is been there done that, and the Lord has, has brought me through. I mean, here I am this morning. So the Harvest USA tree model is based on really the biblical perspective that looks at us as a tree. Psalm 1, 
Jeremiah 17. Jesus himself in various passages like Luke 6 said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So in other words, my good behaviors or good fruit of godliness is coming from a Christ-filled, spirit-empowered heart. My sinful fruit, sinful behaviors, is coming out of a self-ruled, unbelieving, idolatrous, broken heart. We'll get into this in more detail in just a few minutes. So quickly, the tree, the components of the tree are this. Um, I'll actually put all these up. Uh, the heart, or the seed, represents the human heart. That's the control center, the spiritual center of who God has made us to be. And then working our way down, the trunk of the tree re represents our true beliefs. The roots are the motivating desires in our life. We are motivated when we desire something. And then the, the other final component is the soil. So you think about a tree, a seed planted in soil. It could be toxic soil. It could be really uh, full of good nutrients. And that is going to shape the heart. Those nutrients are going to impact the heart in various ways. So let's go through these one by one. First of all, the seed of the tree. And you might want to just draw out a tree if you want and kind of sketch this in, uh, if you want. The seed, as I mentioned, represents our, our hearts, our soil, soil or, I'm sorry, our souls, which is the spiritual control center of our lives. Created for what? To love God, to trust God to worship and adore God and to love people, to love people with a pure heart. But Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins. James 4, we are spiritual adulterers. The fall has left the human heart utterly sinful. And so you see these three aspects. Our hearts are idolatrous, Romans 1, and many other places in scripture. We don't worship the creator naturally anymore. We worship the created thing, and we displace the creator with his good gifts. Uh, we, are, we are selfish in that. Rather than God being at the center of our life naturally, who's at the center? Me, me and my kingdom. Our hearts are deceived. Jeremiah 17 says that pretty clearly. The human heart is deceived. Who can understand it? We don't know what's right. We don't know what's, what's true. But then finally, I would add that our, our hearts are broken. And I, I don't always hear this mentioned, but I think this is so important. Yes, sin has broken us. We don't live out God's design in a pure-hearted way. But our hearts have also been broken by the sin of this world, the brokenness of this world. I mean, we have been, we've pursued sin, and we have been sinned against. And when we forget that, and we're walking with women that are coming in and their lives are a mess because of their sinful choices. When we get to know their story, we're going we're gonna to learn the ways that their hearts have been broken. And they've maybe responded to that brokenness with their own sin. That's probably one of the best things I learned in my counseling training, among a few other, uh, other things, that 
Most of us respond to being sinned against with our own sin. So the heart is idolatrous, not worshiping God. It is deceived. What is what? We call what is good um, evil, and we call what is evil good and sweet. But our hearts are also broken. We need radical intervention from outside of ourselves, which is where Christ comes, comes to the rescue. The next part of the tree is the soil influences. And um, again, with, with no apologies, if you will, I'm walking through these things pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Our workbook, Sexual Sanity for Women, as well as our new curriculum coming out for men in August, unpacks the tree over many, many lessons. Um, so you can find that down in, in uh, the New Growth Bookstore if you're interested in that. But the soil influences, think about the seed, again, planted in the, in the soil. Those of you that are gardeners know how important it is to have good soil for a seed. So what this represents for us is it's, it's life in this fallen world as it's coming at us in ways that we have no control over. Um, it's unique to each one of us. As I mentioned, it's how we experience life in a, a sinful and fallen world. Now what's key of, of a few things, of key about this, is that these soil influences exert a strong shaping influence, but they're not determinative. So, you know, how many of us have said, well, because of this, I can't help this, or because I didn't experience this, there's no other way to live. Scripture would say, no, you're living out of your heart, but Christ is compassionate in the midst of how we face life in this fallen world. And finally, I want to just mention that there's mystery in how our hearts respond to the unique influences um, in our lives. You could have two kids growing up in the same family. Family would be a soil influence. The, the environment you, you grow up in, that can be beautifully um, redemptive and Christ-centered, or it can be traumatically broken, abusive. That's going to shape you and how you view family, fathers, mothers, women, men, and so many other areas. Other things that we have no control over the influence are being male or female. You know, thank you for the brothers that are here. Your experience in this life has been very different than it has been for me as a woman in lots of different ways and, and vice versa. So family, gender, body type. None of us, like I didn't choose to be 5'1". That was God's choice. Uh, you know, he gave me the certain frame that he gave me. Um, but think about the woman who perhaps has a body type that's not seen as particularly esteemed as a, as a feminine physique, according to worldly categories. How might she be viewed because of that? How might she begin to take on messages about herself? So there's things like that, and personality, gifting, peers, of course, abuse, trauma, loss. These are all examples of soil influences that exert a strong shaping influence that are communicating messages to us that we may take in and interpret. Maybe you've heard that saying that children are great observers of life, but they're horrible interpreters of life. So I, I minister to women who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and not just in my wife's ministry, in this ministry. And when you begin to unpack their story and their soil influences, then certain things begin to become clear about how they began to think the way they did and to act out of those thoughts and act out of those beliefs. 
But let me just mention again that there's, there's mystery in why our hearts respond the way they do. I'm one of eight children in my family. Uh, there were four kids that, were, that um, were born in about five years, bless my mother's heart. And then there was the other four of us that were born six, eight, you know, so many years later. And, and those two sets of four kids grew up and experienced our parents in kind of different ways. I mean, my parents were just exhausted by the time I came around as number five. So, you know, they were kind of loose. And, and the, the younger four of us are much more free spirits. The older four are a little bit more kind of, um, well, I'll just leave it at that, uh, but different. So, there's so that's soil influences. So the tree begins to grow upward and outward from the heart, motivated by ruling desires, which represent the roots, and our true beliefs, which represent the trunk. So desires, God's given us desires, and they can be expressed in holy or unholy ways. Depending on who or what is controlling the seed or your heart, the desire for love, for respect, for significance, for comfort, for affirmation. Those desires, whether they're met or not met, can be experienced and pursued in ways that are really honoring to Christ. Or they can be pursued and expressed in ways that are really all about ourself, securing those desires um, in the way we think is best. So again, desires for things like comfort, control, affirmation, respect, significance, can take over, controlled by an idolatrous heart, a deceived heart, a broken heart, saying, I must have this and have it no matter what it takes to get it, which really flows into the trunk of the tree. So again, look at that seed. It's influenced by the nutrients of the soil. Um, taking root in that, desires are being influenced. Beliefs are starting to happen. And out of that, we're going to see out of that, we make behavioral choices. But on the trunk or the beliefs first, what I'm talking about here are our true beliefs. And I'll say it this way, just very bluntly, not what we say we believe, not what we even sing we believe, but it's how we actually live our life. It's a difference between my spoken theology and faith and how I really live out my life. You know, on Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. But actually, a lot of times I think, no. My relationships are the solid rock on which I stand. My ministry success or popularity, that's the solid rock on which I stand. And if I don't get it, I'm sunk. So our true beliefs, and as we drill down into understanding that in a woman's life, well, this is actually something we do need to explore over time is what is she really believing? What is true? And actually, what is she give, how is she giving way to the sin of unbelief about God, life, self, her feelings, uh, sex, sexuality, and our romantic attractions? Once again, that's a big topic at this GA. What are we believing truly and actually? Are we controlled by Christ or self? Are we being influenced by various factors outside of scripture and the gospel? Or, or are we actually being controlled by Christ? So that tree begins to grow up and manifest. And we act, we believe, we choose a path. And 
out comes the fruit. So let me just show you a quick example, or you know, unpack this. So consider a, a 20, 30, 40, or 50-year-old woman who's entangled in sexual sin. That's the fruit. Um, these are women that I've ministered to over the years. So think about this. Her heart, there's a lordship of self that maybe is happening. And this is your PCA sister. She knows the Westminster Catechism. She's involved in your Bible study, but she's got some secrets that there's areas in her life where like me, probably like you, she said, Lord, I want you to be Lord, but over this area, I'm gonna maintain a bit of private real estate. I'll be Lord over myself in this area. Lordship of the self, her pain is driving her, controlling her. There's influences going on in her life. Those family relationships, again, relationships with women, <clears throat> men, trauma perhaps that has impacted her, peer relationships, body type things I've already mentioned before. Um, I'm so thankful that there's been serious discussions even at this GA about trauma and abuse, uh, which we all know, but it can still sometimes be tempting to just want to keep our heads in the sand, isn't it? Because it's hard. But this is such a profound influence, and actually not only on women, but men. High majority of the men that come to our ministry have some form of sexual abuse that they experienced as, as little boys. So the woman comes, and she's confessing again the fruit, but we get to know these other parts of her. We get to know her desires for affirmation and affection, a desire to feel loved, to feel comforted, and to feel like she's in control. And we get to know her beliefs. Uh, once again, she may be saying the right things, and she wants to believe these things. And she, she battles back and forth, like we all do, with her own belief and unbelief. But when you get to know her, her story and her pathway, you see that she really believes that she's got to secure the fulfillment of these desires herself. Um, we get to see that actually, maybe in her view, men are completely untrustworthy, or men are the savior. So there's no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow a man, be vulnerable with a man, and women just feel a lot safer to me. I've had women tell that to me. You know, Ellen, I, I'm not necessarily attracted to women, I never was, but women are just so much safer to me because of what experience with men. Or women will say that I need a man's love. Like, I need a man's attention, even though I know it's not really love, but if I don't have a man reaching out and giving me attention, like, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm worthless. And this idea that God, God can't help me, God doesn't help women in these areas. Uh, it's never, I don't hear it ever talked about. Uh, I don't hear this talked about as a women's issue, and it never comes up at our women's Bible study. And I'm not mentioning that, sisters and brothers, I'm not saying that to shame us. It's just a reality that in the silence, women have taken in messages about this, and it just leads to feeling of shame and hopelessness and feeling very dirty or feeling very abnormal because they are wrestling with this, and they've never heard other women talk about this, or they never heard the sermon example that actually brings in um, women that are wrestling with these things. So that would be an example of a lot of different women, and here's the key discipleship principle for us, is that the background and influence of sexual sin and other sin patterns are 
actually generally the same. So think about your own struggles that you've had in the past or presently, whether, if they're, whether they were sexual or not. Uh, the same corrupt desires that control sexual sin also have an impact or are a part of the process with sexual sin. Our, our hearts are broken and sinful. We're sufferers and we're saints. And I love Mike Emlett at CCF has done great teaching on that, that we are sufferers, sinners, and saints. And we need to minister to people in light of those things. We've all been impacted by various ways of living at this world, the world coming at us, influencing us. We've attached meaning and value to those experiences. And it's taught us what to pursue, and it's taught us what to avoid. And sometimes we've avoided the things that actually we should be pursuing, like community, vulnerability, honesty. And we've, we've pursued the things that actually we should really avoid, like emotional comfort at all costs, or numbing ourselves out from this stressful world. We have a belief system that drives our behaviors. And you know, I would suggest to you that I think almost probably every time a scandal breaks, with a Christian leader who has been shown to have a very duplicitous life, these are the kinds of things that have been at play. There's been off the radar screen, and, and including to him or her, that that person's heart and conscience has perhaps been so seared and so deceived that the person can be expounding the scriptures, teaching the word accurately, coming alongside other people and saying really Christ-centered um, words of hope. But at their heart level, they don't believe it. At their heart level, there are certain desires that are driving them. And, and the way they've worked this out over time is to become very self-deceived and very skilled at deceiving others. And that's women and men. And, May I just say again that we all do this in one way or another. I'm not pointing fingers here. We all need Christ's intervention to open up our eyes, to give us courage to deal with what's going on in our hearts, and to reach out and to get the help we need. And just a final example I, I want to share about this is years ago I met a pastor. It was a, a spiritual formation week. This wasn't in the PCA. Uh, I met a pastor, and he lost, had lost his ministry and actually had lost his marriage, not because of pornography, not because of an affair, not because he was a bully or domineering. His sin struggle that had enslaved him, now Dave here, you're not gonna appreciate this, well maybe you will. His, his sin struggle, he was, he had this obsession about buying Christian books. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I heard it and I kind of chuckled about it. But he had come into this pattern where he was so obsessed, searching, and this was probably pre-internet, or I guess it was after internet, but he had become so controlled by always having to have a new book, compulsively buying them, that it literally destroyed his life. But isn't that our heart? I mean, do you have areas where you think, boy, if anyone knew that this was my thing, they would think, girl, our brother, but that's all of us. Our, our hearts are deceived and broken and hurting, and we try to make life work on our own terms. And that's what's happening when the woman comes to you, the married woman who is 
homeschooling her children or involved in your women's Bible study, and she says, I can't stop looking at pornography. Does your husband know? No way. He, he wouldn't know what to do with that. Or when the woman comes to you and confesses, I don't know how this happened, but my best friend and I, we have gotten involved with each other. Like, we're having an affair, and our, our husbands have no idea about this. Or, or the sister that comes to you and just says, you know, I, I looked at so much pornography when I was younger that I just can't get the stuff out of my head, and it's, it's filling my head, and I go to it in this fantasy, compulsive fantasy way. These are the women that need Christ's hope and help and the gospel applied to them in very practical ways. Just like the woman that is wrestling with food issues or gossip or anxiety or compulsive spending, the heart needs transformation. Our thoughts need to be renewed with the mind of Christ. Our desires need to come under the loving lordship of Christ and our soil influences, which can't be undone, but Christ can change the way we view them and change the impact that they're having on our present. So let's go ahead and begin looking at some discipleship principles for you to take away. What is the process of change? Well, first things first is a transformed seed or heart. We know this. You've heard this taught. This isn't anything that's radically new, but Sometimes we forget that in Christ, we are a new creation. We have a new identity. We have new desires. We have the mind of Christ that is ours. And that Christ is the one that has the last say about our past. Christ is the one that will have the last say about any soil influence in your life. No matter how traumatic it was, no matter how disappointing it's been or painful it's been, Christ over all of that says, mine. Mine, because you are mine. You are mine, daughter, and I want to bring healing into your life. So there's lots of passages that we could go to for this. You know, I've got 2 Corinthians 5 up there, but what about this one? Mark, mark this down. It's a familiar passage probably for many of you if you've been involved in Bible study. Colossians 3, where Paul is teaching based on our union with Christ. He says because of our union with Jesus, there's some things we pursue and there's other things that we are to throw off. He says, if then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, the trunk of your tree, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Death to self and resurrection life right there. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, our future hope. But then Paul goes on in this chapter, and he mentions, so because of all this, put to death, therefore, throw off, kill these various sin patterns. A little bit later in the passage, he says, also, because of your union with Jesus, put these on. And, and note, note the chronology. He says, put these on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Women need to know that they don't repent so that they become holy, chosen, and beloved. They can repent because they are chosen, holy, and beloved. And we can't minimize how that sweet kind of foundational, maybe it feels like a basic truth, that breathes hope and grace over a woman's heart 
who perhaps has been feeling dirty, so much shame because of these sexual sin struggles in her life. So how do we engage this with women? Well, intentional life-sharing discipleship. This is a, a picture I want to show you to just get us started talking about discipleship. It's a crinkly picture from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm actually from St. Louis. I grew up here. I've been living in Philly for about 16 years. This was from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, like 1991 or 92. The story was this woman had jumped off the Poplar Street Bridge, which is right around the corner here, trying to take her life. And these firefighters rescued her from um, the river after she'd floated about a mile and a half down. And you know, at the risk of maybe being seen as a little bit too melodramatic, I, I see this as such a beautiful and moving, as it was for me, um, representation of a lot of the women in our churches that are battling sexual sin. Not from the suicidal point of view, but just look at that woman. She's wet. She's just been rescued from a river. And maybe when she bobbed up out of that river, her heart sunk because she failed at what she wanted to do. But look at her bowed down. The two men on the front are just looking away in the other direction. And there's this one guy kind of leaning over her, trying to comfort her. And when I saw this, it just so moved me because I see myself in some ways, but I see so many women in this picture. And, and even the most well-meaning um, our brothers, well-meaning brothers, well-meaning women's ministry leaders, some of us are just kind of looking away in the direction. We don't know what to do with women that are struggling in these areas. Or, or perhaps we are drawing near and kind of comforting, but we're not looking face to face. Or maybe that woman just can't bear to look, go eyeball to eyeball with you in the midst of this. Women need rescue. Only Jesus can do that, but he uses us as his mouth, hands, and feet to help rescue women and to speak words of hope and to journey with them side by side. So more on the process of change. I just got a handful of thoughts here. First is, in light of that side-by-side -side, uh, discipleship ministry, at the core of that is what women need is a fresh encounter with Jesus and the gospel. Like, I'm not going to give you any big long list of things to do with female sex addicts. No, I, I want to just present to you how the gospel goes inside as we come alongside of each other. Like the Samaritan woman in John 4. Jesus engaged her, talked with her, drew her out. Like the sinful woman in Luke 7 who was so bold to draw near to Jesus among religious leaders who despised her. They didn't think she belonged there. But Jesus welcomed her, welcomed her to draw near to him. And he spoke words of blessing and defense over her. And how can we follow the example of Jesus in this way? Brothers and sisters, moving towards women, drawing them out, and inviting them to come out into the light. How do we do that? Well, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 you know, I would suspect you know that passage. It says that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We are to throw off sin and entanglements. We are to run the race in front of us. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. So pastors, as you preach, please include women in these areas of struggle. Women's ministry leaders, in your Bible studies, how can you coach the women that are doing the teaching 
to draw out applications that relate to women that are wrestling in these areas. Not only these areas, but please don't neglect these areas. And just friends, how can we have an intentionality to reach out and just to normalize this, not minimizing the gravity of sin, but normalizing that, you know what, yeah, sin is that intrusive that it has devastated every part of who I am, from my thinking to my sexuality to my feelings and desires and attractions, all of that needs the radical intervention of Jesus. And the more we normalize that, again, not downplaying it, the more we normalize that, women begin to feel the courage to maybe step out and to ask for help. And I can tell you, I've seen this over and over when I've spoken at GA, when I've spoken at the Women's Leadership Training event every year, or when I've spoken at women's retreats on these areas. There are almost always follow-up conversations or emails from women saying, I've never told anybody this, but I need some help in this area. And I don't love that women come and confess that, but I love being able to be a safe place to hold the fine china of women's hearts. As Paul Tripp, a Bible, Bible teacher and, and author and former pastor Paul Tripp says, the fine china of a woman's heart is being entrusted to us. And I'm being privileged to take that and to listen and hold it and help point her towards Jesus. Few more thoughts on some practical steps. We've talked, we've talked about the tree, I'm giving you that framework, just trying to lay this out as a discipleship issue. So let's drill down now a bit more. We've got that tree, we're understanding the fruit in a woman's life. Well, what are some other steps for us to start getting um, that much more insight into how these behaviors are engaged in? Well, one of the key drivers to really any besetting sin, and I think probably sin in general, but definitely addictive patterns, would be understanding where are we going for comfort? What are the innocent pleasures, if you will, that can hijack our hearts that actually um, fuel or pave a pathway for these sins? Uh, Dr. Harry Schomburg um, is a man that is a biblical counselor. I don't know if he's still practicing, but he was a biblical counselor addressing issues of sexual sin and addiction for decades. Um, like when I started Harvest 14 years ago, um, he had already come out with some of his main books like called False Intimacy uh, about sexual sin and sexual addiction. But he said, he came to the conclusion after really decades of counseling ministry to both women and men, that he saw the driving common thread of sexual addiction was people were seeking to avoid relational pain. I don't know if I would actually condense it to just that, but I would, but I would agree with him. But I would say specifically with women, and this is more true of men than not, but it's an avoidance of emotional pain. It's an avoidance of things that are uncomfortable or distressing in your life. So his idea is that we, are, we pursue a false intimacy. Uh, we avoid something that's a counterfeit of what God actually wants to give us with himself and within the body of Christ. So think about it. Think about these believers who have come to our ministry for help. Um, the pastor who continues to commit adultery through prostitutes. 
the guy at church that everybody seems to love, has a great family, he's gregarious, then it comes out that he's had a secret life. The worship leader who has just confessed that she's been in an affair with her best friend's husband. Or the married woman who is looking at pornography over and over when her husband is late at work again or out of town again. Once again, I don't want to oversimplify this or overcomplicate it, but a commonality in the unbelief and the brokenness is there's a pursuit of something to feel good, to escape the pain that is happening at street level. Now, you might say, well, Ellen, I thought people pursue sexual sin just because of the pleasure that can be attributed with sexual activity. Well, actually, no. That's not what we hear that's not what we've heard for decades from women or men. That's actually the physical, the way God has designed our bodies, the physical pleasure is a part of how this becomes so addictive in the way God has really amazingly designed our bodies physiologically um, to respond to sexual activity and the bonding that happens, the, the way that our brains are actually impacted. And God's designed that is all meant to happen in the context of a covenant marriage, a husband and wife bonding together for life. But when that's happening outside that context, you can see how things really get off track when we're pursuing comfort outside of the way that God has designed for us to pursue comfort in himself, comfort in the gospel, and the comfort that can come from walking in real community with other people. So this kind of relates to the next thing of identifying the sin and pain behind the sexual sin. I've already kind of talked about this in, in one way or another, but yeah, looking at all these different the, the um, components of the tree is we want to understand what's driving those behaviors. How is that person maybe avoiding pain um, and seeking it through these, these activities? But getting to know the true beliefs that are driving it, getting to know what are those idols, and this connects to the ruling desires, the motivating desires in a, in a woman's heart. But then getting to know her soil, those influences, how do we begin to weave in a gospel view of healing, forgiveness, transformation in the way she's viewing things that have impacted her that can't be undone. It's not a forgive and forget. It's not an erase it. I forget what's behind me and I press on towards Jesus. Uh, there's a, a prayer garden outside Philadelphia um, that I go to. It's based on Psalm 23. And there's a sign um, that kind of leads you to pray through painful experiences. And uh, the, what the sign says is, buried feelings don't die. Bring your pain to the Lord. So when we shove it, when we bury it under, underground, what happens? It just grows up and pops up in other areas. So one of the things, reasons I love about the tree model is it takes in our whole person, um, not minimizing sin, but also not minimizing the pain that we've experienced in this world. So we want to understand what's going on behind, behind the scenes, which also leads to helping a woman identify the triggers the triggers in her pathway towards this sin. The idea of triggers really comes from the world of addictions, secular and also biblical, but it, it relates to those experiences which can prompt somebody into that addictive, sinful cycle. Uh, I'll just read what's here. It's circumstances, physical and or emotional states that weaken our ability to fight temptation and can entice us towards the pleasures of sin. 
what I talk about with women is that these triggers, um, which are to be avoided, but some can't be avoided, they can lead us in the direction of sin, but they can also become a prompt, a, a praise prompt to cry out to Jesus and say, help, or reach out to a person. I need you to pray for me. So in the, uh, the world of uh, addictions, you might have heard of this acronym HALT, that common triggers are things like when somebody's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. But I add on to that what we talked about a little bit, little bit ago, emotional pain and distress. Boredom. Boredom is a huge driver for a lot of women and pornography um, and, and sexual self-gratification, masturbation. Is they're just bored and they want to feel alive. They want to get lost in somebody else's life. So getting to know how certain people, certain circumstances, social situations, smells, sights, how those trigger something in a woman and start leading her down a path is going to guide you in helping her know how to avoid those things and how to pursue other things that are going to help her flee the temptation. So here's how I do this with women. Two things, you want to map out the timeline of how, when, and where a sin was pursued and engaged in. And then you want to review 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 14. How was Christ actually seeking to break in and provide a way of escape that this woman may have been blind to? So for example, um, years ago a woman came to me. She was a young 23-year-old married woman. She had three kids under three like one-and-a-half-year-old twins and a three-year-old. And she had had an affair, her marriage was a mess, and she, now she was getting involved in another guy and just felt like she was getting out of control with compulsive sexual behaviors, which is what led her to reach out to me for help. So she came in um, for one of our appointments on like a Tuesday, and she confessed Friday night. I don't know how it happened, but I ended up on a beach in New Jersey with this man that I work with. just happened. So we backed up from that Friday night to Monday, and we walked through the week. Well, guess what? She'd had a huge blowout with her husband. She was exhausted from mothering and her job. Um, she had had other things going on that there was just a lot of stress. And then here's this man at work that's paying her a lot of attention, not asking her to do anything, fix any meals, or she, he just wants to have fun. And as we walked that through, she saw how she was sowing into the flesh. She was watering it and opening herself up towards the sin that then led her to give way on that Friday night. And then we backed it up again towards Monday. And I said, okay, sister, Christ promises that he's never going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure, that he's always going to provide a way out. So we started going back and we did a God hunt. We started looking at this, and I asked her questions, like, how was Jesus? Like, were there any things where people were moving towards you or trying to find, where there was another way that you could have walked? And it was pretty astounding. That Monday, in the midst of all the stress, her mentor called her. Call came in. She didn't accept it. Other people were reaching out to her, texting her, asking her how she was doing. She didn't want to, she didn't take any of those calls. Thursday night at work, this guy, they were actually supposed to have dinner together. He cancels on her. Just an unbelieving man said, I can't meet with you. She says, well, how about if we meet up tomorrow night, Friday night? They go out. 
They're over in a bar in New Jersey. And who shows up at this random bar? Her brother from Philadelphia. And looks at her and says, what are you doing here? Who's this guy? And as we walked through that, she wasn't, she was kind of, um, there, there was a sense of being deeply humbled, but she also saw, wow, Jesus was running after me saying, stop. Here's someone to help you. Don't go here. Here's your mentor reaching out. I'm, I'm going to lead this unbelieving man to cancel out on you so you don't have to go. And she just kept saying, nope, Jesus, step aside. I don't want you. I mean, she didn't, wasn't consciously saying that. So we reviewed that, and it helped her both grow in seeing how she had been unwise about triggers and also how she had been blind and had refused the Lord's rescue. So those are ways to help a woman. And then we come to, again, what I would say would be basic, some basic Christian discipleship, putting on and putting off. What Paul's talking about, putting off, fleeing temptations and triggers. Uh, we've got to be willing to say the hard things to, to women, that most of us want to wait until obedience is easy. But obedience is going to mean radical amputation. It's going to be costly. It's going to be inconvenient. But throwing off, getting rid of it means we are throwing off. So women need help making a battle plan in this, which is where the tree, the triggers, knowing where you go for comfort all relates in. But then beautifully so, putting on behaviors. And I love Romans 13, 14, because it captures all this in one sentence. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. So we're, we're leading women, not just in throwing things off, but in putting on, watering, or feeding the work of the Spirit in her life. Well, Ellen, I, I thought you said we shouldn't simplify this. Are you, are you saying, oh yeah, well, read your Bible, honey. You know, memorize some scriptures. Yes, that, along with the bigger picture. But yes, a woman bound up in pornography, a woman who is getting on her app, setting up hookups with a man or with women, what she needs is Christian discipleship at the heart level. So scripture and encouraging time with other believers, true fellowship. And we all know this, that just hanging out with other Christians doesn't make for fellowship. Fellowship is when we are really making spirit deposits into each other's life. We're having fun, we're celebrating, we're laughing, but we're not just socializing. We are making deposits of the spirit into each other, but also counseling relationships. I've told many women, because we're not a counseling organization, we don't do long-term one-on-one, but I'll, I'll encourage women, yeah, perhaps you need to meet with either a lay or professional counselor that can go deep with you about this trauma or go deep with you about family dynamics. And then finally, an intentional discipleship relationship, which is I love and respect and just, if you're not connected to PCA Women's Ministry, Karen Hodge and her team, I got Megan May over here who's our regional advisor in the Northeast. Um, the, the PCA Women's Ministry is powerfully wanting to equip and inspire women about discipling and teaching the word into each other's lives. And women need to know, like, what does the gospel say about marriage, about sex, about singleness, about desires, about temptations, and so much more about sexuality and identity, but coming, coming alongside of each other as a discipleship relationship. And really on that, I'm just going to close and say that Harvest 
uh, has a lot of discipleship resources for women, uh, for parents, for men. These are our two key resources, Sexual Sanity for Women. Uh, we just came out, Shaylee and I, my coworker, co-wrote Sexual Faithfulness. And then I have, a mini, I have about three or four mini books I've written for Harvest. Um, the one that maybe is most appropriate for this seminar is Sex and the Single Girl, Smart Ways to Care for Your Heart. And actually another one, which is probably downstairs, um, called Your Dating Relationship and Your Sexual Past, How Much to Share, which is kind of one of those fire-in-my-bones topics that comes out of my wife's ministry of just the need that we have to do pre-engagement discipleship with couples so that they really know what they're dealing with. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.